Thank you for listening to the Bend ICOC podcast. All right, so hello, internet viewers of this sermon. I have to give a brief uh, introduction and post because there's a technical difficulty and about the first five minutes of the sermon actually wasn't recorded. Um, So I'm giving that to you now. The introduction for our passage today, which is Mark 1, verses 21 through 38. And framing this up, uh, actually speak about what we talked about on the previous Sunday. We were looking at Jesus's presence in Matthew's home, uh, a tax collector, where Jesus earns that uh, title of a friend of sinners. We talked about how this was a a new wineskin. That was about the uh, sixth fishing expedition, I like to call it, around the region of Galilee. uh, After he called his disciples, Jesus took them on these six fishing expeditions. Some were in the temple, some were in homes, and it crescendos with him going to Matthew, the tax collector's house, and calling Matthew. Um, we talked about this idea of an oikos, which is your, your family network. In Roman times and in Jewish culture, you would have the head of a household, and he would be the patriarch. He would lead everyone in his network, from his work life to his friends, his relatives. They would all be under one roof and interconnected in their relationships. So... This was a great channel for the church to begin in homes. And we looked previously on a Sunday about how the foundation of that home, that house church model, was Jesus Christ. Jesus is our model for life and ministry. In fact, I'd argue that all growth and maturity in the faith depends on your growth and maturity in viewing Jesus Christ. He is foundational for your maturity in the faith. In today's theme, we're looking at where does ownership end and stewardship begin? I want to share a quick pas- I want to share a quick passage from First uh, Peter chapter four, and I'll start us up in uh, verse seven. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so with one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So it's interesting going through the the Gospels. You know, I, I used to look at Mark 1 as a young disciple, and I actually used to teach it as the, Jesus came along, and the disciples were there, and they had no idea who he was, and they immediately left their nets to follow him, um, totally committed right from the start. And, and that's a false view, actually. Uh, those uh, few disciples who were there, they had been following Jesus around for about 18 months. And it's very interesting. The first 18 months of Jesus' ministry, he only performs two miracles. That's the changing of water into wine and the healing of an official son. Uh, at least that's all that was recorded. He may have done more. Uh, he also only gives two imperative commands. You know, in the last 18 months of his ministry, he gives over 410 commands. But in the first 18 months of his ministry, he only says, repent and follow me. And I think there's a lot you can take away from that. I think it's safe to argue that more important than learning a list of rules in following Christ 
is learning the relationship in following Christ, the proper motivation of living out those rules. In that time of the first 18 months, you see Jesus going after those relationships. You see him seeking spiritual conversations with individuals. He speaks with Nicodemus. He speaks with the Samaritan women. Jesus models the way we should live relationships. Now, I had mentioned those first six fishing expeditions earlier, um, crescendoing with uh, the calling of Matthew and going into the tax collector's home. Uh, today is actually fishing trip number, well, you could say number one and two. He heals the demoniac at a temple, and then he goes into Peter's home, and he heals his mother-in-law. Two evangelistic settings where he's teaching the disciples how to reach out to people, how to be effective. With that, I will go ahead and read our scripture. I'll also key you in on the fact that uh, they went to Capernaum here. Nazareth, the small town where Jesus grew up, was probably about 120, 150 people. Capernaum, however, uh, a bigger fishing village, almost a town, was 1,500 people. Verse 21 of Mark 1 says, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Yeah, stewardship is something that it took me a while to learn as a kid. Um, I, I remember my dad teaching me about it, actually, because in, in the church where I grew up, we sometimes would help out. There's an elderly woman in our church that had a yard that would always get overgrown, and, and we'd go over there because my dad had all the, the yard tools. He had the weed eater, he had all of that. And he'd take us kids along so that I could like, pick up grass and pretend to be helping, you know. And, uh, but I would be like, Dad, why are we doing this? This isn't ours. You know, this is in our yard. And with my aunt, uh, she would always watch us as we were kids and she'd take us to this donut shop, but we'd always have to walk through the, uh, the neighborhood to get there. So we'd take along these grocery bags that my aunt would make us carry and we'd pick up trash along the way. And then we'd take it back home, throw them in the trash. And I was like, well, why are we doing this? Why are we picking up this trash? This isn't my sidewalk. I want the donut at the donut shop. I know that. Um, <laughs> But why are we doing this? I remember my dad, he's a political guy, he phrased it this way of, um, you know, people, your whole life you're going to hear people complain about their civil rights, but you're not going to hear people talk about their civil responsibilities. 
and, uh, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I think really my dad was teaching me stewardship, or perhaps you're, you're forfeiting your own right in some scenarios um, to help other people who may not have the ability, may not have the resources. And really it's the heart of, this is all God's. It's going from ownership to stewardship, where you're not saying, this is mine, I earned it, I deserve it, uh, look at it. Um, so no, this is God's. He's being glorified through that stewardship. And I love digging into these verses, though, to see how Jesus balanced that. You know, another place where I would um, get off track in my gospel fluency when I was studying the Bible with people is over a, sort of counting the cost. You know, Jesus says, son of man has no place to lay his head. And it's like, yeah, you got to you know, move into a brother's household. And I don't know if you're going to have a bed there. <laughs> Things like that. Um, uh, but then I kind of look through the scriptures and I'm like, well, you know, they stayed in a lot of places. Like, I don't see them sleeping in the desert. <laughs> and um, The beautiful thing about the kingdom, beautiful thing about coming over to Bend, Oregon, is we have a place to call home right here. Um, and Jesus goes into these households, as we saw, into Peter's home. Peter having stewardship of, hey, this isn't my home, but come share with me. And Jesus started committing to those relationships, even going to his sick mother-in-law and healing her. Um, Jesus could have said, hey, these are my rights. This is my time. The crowd is over at the synagogue. Um, but he didn't. He went into the home. And what kind of a picture does that paint for you? Or how well does someone get to know you versus if they meet you at the Fellowship of Church and small talk or they go into your home? They can see you know, your posters, art on your wall. I saw the Don Quixote up there as I walked in the doors. Oh, I don't know what the next sermon is going to be about. You know? <laughs> but you really get to, to know a person. It's a very intimate thing. And um, you look at those two scenes almost, how the entire town came to Peter's home. And the entire town didn't come to Jesus in the synagogue. Likely because they were afraid he'd be performing works there on the Sabbath. So then it was night fallers after the Sabbath, and okay, let's go get healed. But... You look at those two scenes and I say, man, which one looks more like what church should be like? Which one was their healing at? Which one was their fellowship at? Or which one were people faking it at, in a way? And, and only Jesus can see their hearts, so we can't be too judgmental there. Um, let me catch up right here. You know, I, I imagine what if Peter said, I don't really want to invite people into my home. It's my home, I own it. Or what if Jesus had said that same thing? Um, let's turn over to John 7 really quick. Looking again at Jesus' heart of stewardship. I think I'll pick this one up. John chapter 7. reading a great passage in Luke 7 right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, wrong scripture. <laughs> All right, guys. So John 7 started up in uh, verse 3. Uh, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. 
for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here, for for you it uh, for you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that it works its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. And I love connecting those two scenes of back here at Peter's household, all these people coming to the house in secret. It, it wasn't about the crowd. It wasn't about the applause for Jesus. It was about, I need to serve these people, heal these people. Yes, it's okay. Come to me in secret. I don't mind. You know, you're kind of embarrassed to come be with me right now, but that's okay. And later on, I imagine that scene with Jesus' brothers saying, hey, you know, at this time there must have been such great heartache with so much persecution. You know, he's kind of comforting them. This is why the world hates you, because of me. I think some of his brothers might have even hated him a little bit right there. Mm -hmm. Like, man, cousin, cousin John's been put to death. And these people in Jerusalem, they want to make you king. And, you know, we can really actually make a name for our family right here. You can have a little vengeance in a way from what happened to John, but here you're hiding out, you know. I, I thought you were to proclaim some good news. The festival's happening over there. Jesus saying, no, I, I I can't give myself over to the crowd right there. Um, back over in Mark 1, if you turn back there. It's, uh, hmm? oh, it's interesting, even in our modern day, I think about us over in Eugene, and I'm going to reread uh, this 35 right here. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you. You know, I see that same heart as when he said, No, I can't go into Jerusalem right now. You know, he, he knew something that the Father had told him. It didn't make sense to man at all, but he, he reverently obeyed and submitted himself to the Father's plan. And, and Peter's so excited here, I'd probably more have the heart of Peter, like, Jesus, I whipped up the huge crowd again, we're ready to go, you know, you're teaching us how to do ministry here, and I got the crowd. And Jesus' response, he replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So we traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I can just imagine the, the jaw drop of Peter right there. Um, it, yes, being very thankful that he healed his mother-in-law, but there were obvious needs back there. There were probably more people who needed to be healed. He probably thought, man, Jesus, we could start a great church right here. Uh, there's a crowd that will probably commit to you in the end. Um, and, and there will always be those needs, but Jesus says there's greater needs out there. I need to share the good news out there. So I, I think he could have stayed and taken some ownership. He could have guided that crowd. He could have started the nice you know, community church, so to say. But he took the stewardship route of, no, I need to eventually get to Jerusalem. I need to go to the nearby villages. And, and that's a, a temptation even in Eugene. Um, you know, when I joined the church, I was like, oh, man, how can we build a, such a great church right here in Eugene? But I also knew that I wanted to be a part of a movement, you know, a movement where people come from Portland, where... They come from out of state, and uh, they commit to these house churches in Oregon. It's so cool. Jesus says, I need to go to the nearby villages. And to me, that's committing to family. That's taking a stewardship. Okay, God put something out here. There's a need. No, I don't 
own anything in Bend, Oregon. I don't have any claim on it. There's no right on it, but it's God's and I need to go. Um, I love that heart, but I, I would have been like Peter saying, hey, there's a lot of needs in Eugene. There's a lot of needs in Portland. There's, there's needs everywhere. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the other point I want to make here, uh, Jesus is not only our model for that stewardship, he's a model in humility in that stewardship. Again, the, the crowds are out there waiting for him. It's kind of like, uh, it's as if you were to, you know, again, Peter's heart. It's like you organize a, a huge concert or something like that. And, you know, there's thousands of people out there and they're waiting for the headliner. And you're like, where's Jesus? He's not in his trailer. Am I doing this? <laughs> Jesus is like going to the next set on the tour. And I'd be like, oh my gosh. Um, but Jesus didn't want that big concert of people. He didn't want that praise. Um, so humble. I, I would have uh, probably taken a different route right there. Um, Rounding out that, that stewardship just a little more, though, I, I wanted to bring up its, you know, a couple of practical examples in really the heart of it. Um, you know, my parents would always ask me, hey, clean your room. And that, that made sense. Like, I owned it. You know, I, I earned the things in that room. I should clean my room. But there was probably never a day in my life that I went around and cleaned my parents' room and my sister's room and my brother's room just because I know I should do it. Yeah, this is all God's. I'm going to help people out and serve them and clean these rooms. So I really meant something. All right. You know, uh, over in Philippians 2.6, I'm probably not going to turn there. I'll paraphrase it. You have that kenosis passage of Jesus, both God and man. And though he was the very nature of God, did not consider it equality to his advantage to to take hold of that. But he lowered himself, he humbled himself. And I think that's what we have to do when we're a steward. Um, when you are a steward and you take stewardship of something, do you want the credit for it? Do you want to say, hey, I'm really being, I'm, you know, I'm just really a steward in the church. Um, I don't think that's a title that we should take on. Um, though, I think we should celebrate others who are stewards in the church. Um, but you see, it's owners who brag about something usually, you know, like, I own that car. And, and they want to show it off rather than, you know, I, I love Maddie's grandma. She offers to detail my car. And um, she doesn't go around telling everyone, like, yeah, Maddie and Joey, they're so dirty and I clean their cars or anything like that. But she's such a humble servant and she's a steward and she works so much and so hard. She's always cleaning. Isn't that right? Yeah, she's so yeah, cleaning. She's like, I just need a project. Can I clean your car? Mm -hmm. I was like, what? Yep. Even in, yeah, Jesus' healing of so many people right here, still keeping it a secret. Or back there, I had us kind of uh, take a running start to it. He heals the demon-possessed man. You know, and obviously many people saw it, but he tells the demon-possessed man to be silent. You know, didn't want him proclaiming, you're the son of God. And, hey, everybody, he healed me. Um, and that's where I look at another example of just Jesus's model of relationships. He didn't want a bunch of miracle-seeking people out in the crowd saying, this guy's awesome, he can heal you. And he didn't want a bunch of demon-possessed people running around going, the son of God, the son of God. You know, they probably would have said, oh, you're, well, what they did say later on of, you know, you're probably aligned with these demon-possessed people. And he said, no, that doesn't make sense. A house can't be divided against itself. Um, but his plan was something much more relational. 
goes, no, I'm going to go to this house, invest in a few, not in the crowd. E even though they probably wanted to go out and proclaim him. I, I think that's why I told the man to be silent. Because there wasn't his plan to have those big crowds. It was his plan to have a relational movement. He, the people he wanted to share his testimony was the disciples. Later on, he, you know, he calls Matthew. He eventually calls all of the 12. And he asked 120. Before that, the 72. And that was his plan. That's the relationships he wanted to invest in. That's who he wanted to have as a testimony. And that's us right here, guys. Jesus' plan is our testimony. It, pouring ourselves into one another. That same stewardship, that same humbleness that Jesus modeled for us right here. That's his testimony. That's our testimony that he wants us to take into the world. Isn't that awesome? I think it's, again, I look back to... Man, is it really to Jesus' testimony when I'm just giving a little bit in the fellowship and here's some small talk and here's some small talk and it's in the big crowd? Mm -hmm. Jesus can do some amazing things in the crowd. He can work even in that corporate worship setting. But this right here is something special that Jesus modeled. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'll even highlight it right there. I just got to read it again. Um, verse 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. It, I think he escaped the crowd. It's kind of like, uh, man, I've yet to see a preacher, you know, if he's so needed in the fellowship, who, who everyone wants to talk to him about the sermon. Um, usually at church, he, he's always there. Everyone always wants to go up and talk to him. But uh, I want to see a Sunday come up where the preacher just, like, disappears and he's off praying. We don't know where he went to. And, oh, he's off with God. Or, or maybe he's knocking on doors, getting more people. Or, hey, can I come into your home? And Do you have somebody I can pray over? I think that would be amazing. Mm -hmm. Maybe hold me accountable for that one day. <laughs> uh, and you see these relationships taking place in the home. Uh, again, it's a totally different intimate setting than that Sunday morning relationship. Um, I, I love it. Jesus, you know, uh, so, so I'm challenged currently. Maddie and I live in Elmira, which is 30 minutes outside of Eugene. And we used to live just 10 minutes from campus. So we could invite people over for dinner. Or we could do ministry that way. But now we're clearing Elmira. We're also living with your in-laws to save up money for Bend. And so I can't just invite somebody over for dinner because it's, it's a bit difficult to have them make a 30-minute commute. But, but then I see that scene where Jesus actually talks to Zacchaeus and says, I'm going to your house tonight. <laughs> and I'm like, man, that's bold just to invite yourself over. And hey, I'm... But I think that's because Jesus knew the importance of entering somebody's home and honoring them, having a meal with them. Mm -hmm. A great quote in the book that we're reading with the mission team is it's it's hard to uh, have a meal with an enemy. Mm -hmm. Usually by the end of the meal, they're not so much an enemy. Anymore. Right. It's just a different kind of relationship that you get out of it. All right, let's read on here. And uh, oh, I was going to have everyone, I was going to say put on your speculation hat right here because it doesn't say all of that directly in the Bible. That's where I like to have an imagination. I think we need an imagination for the Bible um, so that Jesus could share his testimony right there. Um, guys, that's really the heart of what I want to share with you all today and the heart of what I'm being challenged on in Eugene to not just be satisfied with yesterday's blessings and have those stifle out the opportunities of tomorrow. You know, I, I don't want to miss what God has for us because I'm so focused on owning something. Like, oh, we have this little ministry started in, in Eugene right now. I don't want to own that, get selfish in that, or, or take that blessing from God for granted. But I want to be open to what opportunities God's provided in the future. 
And he's given us so many blessings for Bend, Oregon. It's already um, more than we could have ever prayed about, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited for it. But in that, I know it needs a heart of stewardship. Mm-hmm. And even in that stewardship, it needs a heart of humility. I, you know, I, I give uh, Amy and Jesse and the maze the charge of you guys are being really great stewards. Amy is building relationships with the mission team. Jesse is, uh, have you all ever heard of that called Marco Polo? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, it's this video messaging app, and so we started using it with the mission team, and you can just drop a line or a prayer request and see them right there on the video, and it's, uh, I'll even have to do one and get you all in it right after service real quick, is why I bring it up, but, but Amy has been a great steward of committing to those relationships. Uh, Maddie's been an excellent steward of committing to those relationships on the mission team with people moving here, and the maze, of course, I think you guys are excellent stewards. Thanks for inviting us into your home mm-hmm. so that we can see the posters on your wall and learn more about you. Guys, yeah, I, I thank you even uh, the guests again for coming today. And uh, the, the humility in that, um, to not, uh, not have a selfish vacation over in Bend, Oregon, but to commit to this fellowship. We feel really loved by you guys, and um, thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Bend ICOC podcast.